Support for the Zest comes from People's Gas, delivering clean, efficient, and affordable natural gas for cooking at home with precise temperature control. More at floridasenergy.com. I just had a bean and cheese taco. It's so simple, but so beautiful because that's what I ate growing up. When I have that, I am brought right back into my grandmother's house where I was raised. I'm Delia Colon, and this is The Zest. Citrus, seafood, Spanish flavor, and Southern charm. The Zest celebrates cuisine and community in the Sunshine State. This week, we're doing a deep dive into Florida's Latin American cuisines. From grandma's tacos to coffee to medicinal herbs, this episode is your passport to a world of flavors and memories that'll get you thinking about your own family's food traditions. In honor of Hispanic Heritage Month, today we're celebrating Florida's Latin American food cultures. We're sharing an excerpt from a conversation titled, Food Memories of Latin America. This Zoom discussion was part of Conversations in the Neighborhood, Let's Talk About Food, which was a discussion series presented by Florida Humanities, the University of Florida's Center for the Humanities and the Public Sphere, and the city of Gainesville. We'll hear from educators, activists, and home cooks about how their Latin American heritage influences the way they eat. We've edited the conversation for length and clarity. Lindsay Derival was born in Haiti. She was four when her family moved to the Dominican Republic. At age 10, they moved to the U.S. Derival's grandfather was Cuban. Lindsay identifies as Black, African-American, and Latino, and she is now a UF student. Mariana Rodriguez is a feminist activist from Brazil. She's part of the, of the Liga Brasileira de Lesbicas and just finished a master's degree in Latin American studies at UF. And she's also part of the LGBT coalition that operates within the Organization of American States. Dr. Cecilia Suarez, CC, is an assistant professor in the Department of Agricultural Education and Communication. Maricela Vega was born in Havana, Cuba, and raised in the United States. She's a professional writer, lecturer, and traditional home cook. So the first question is, what is the relationship between the food you eat and your identity? Wanda, we begin with you. Thank you. As the saying goes, you are what you eat. And I believe that there are two ways in which that rings true to me. First, food is what connects us to our memories of home, of family, to the memories of a place that could be an abstract concept or could be a very concrete space. And it is especially important to me and to us as we are part of a diaspora. And it keeps us grounded in our roots, and it gives us uh, something in common with a community, and it reminds us of our mother culture and and where we came from. So it's that connection. Secondly, I think, and and on the other hand, that um, what we eat, our habits, our behaviors towards food are, I think, a reflection of our journey of our experiences through life and whatever we are doing uh, with food, you know, what we eat, what we 
top four and so on at any given time in our lives, it's a reflection of where we are in our journey. Thank you, Wanda. Lindsay, what is the relationship between the food you eat and your identity? Wanda took most of the words right out of my mouth. So <laughs> I know that many people don't think about this when they eat. But how did our ancestors struggle for the same plate of food that is before us? How did they work to find the perfect recipe that makes it taste like home? And personally, whenever I make a Haitian or Latin dish, especially when I'm learning how to make it, I feel that much more connected to that particular culture. And food has really shaped who I am because I've learned to cook with love. And my dad always says, if you don't cook with love, the food won't come out right. <laughs> So I feel like by learning how to cook with love, I've definitely learned to apply that to other aspects of my life and other activities that I do. What a beautiful reflection, Lizzie. I hope my son one day feels the same way you do about <laughs> my cooking. Cece, what is the relationship between the food you eat and your identity? Um, thank you for the question. Uh, I'm, I'm originally from Texas, from San Antonio, and my family's from Mexico. So um, I have moved all over the country and for me the my relationship with food is definitely like others have shared already is is home it allows me to bring my family with me wherever i move wherever i go i just had a bean and cheese taco right and like it's so simple but so beautiful because that's what i ate growing up and i can be reminded right of home i can i can call the spirit of my grandmother into me and it's and for some people it, it might sound silly but when I have that I am brought right back into my grandmother's house where I was where I was raised that was beautiful because now it brings me so much joy but it also sustained life for my family when that was all, all that was available to them thank you so much Cece I'm also Mexican so I do appreciate very much the tortilla and the frijoles Okay, so now we're going to go to question number two. And um, this question comes from my personal life. So can you cook food from your country of origin in the United States? What are the challenges you face and how have you adapted to them? Wanda, we begin with you. Uh, thank you. <laughs> I think that nowadays um, I can answer that question very, in a very different way from 37 years ago, you know, when, when our, I first came to uh, Gainesville, and a little longer than that when I first came to the States. At a personal level, my, my very first great disappointment was not finding coffee, you know, coffee that I could call coffee. I ended up having to buy Medaglia di Oro, which was an Italian espresso for many years before being able to access uh, what I consider real coffee, you know. And I was in Long Island in New York, which, you know, you would have thought. But then uh, when we came here and opening the restaurant, we couldn't access, source any of our ingredients. We had to go to Tampa. We had to go. Then later on, it was Ocala. And it was not that long ago that we had to, be, to go out of Gainesville to source uh, ingredients so that we could cook our foods. Now, as, as you know, the scene is completely different. Uh, there have been many changes, especially lately after, uh, in the last decade, but also after Maria and all of that, where there is such an influx in this area of uh, Puerto Ricans. And, and, and before it has been from, you know, Venezuelans and Cubans and all. 
that you can access. I think that most of the things that we cook, I know that's not the case for every country, but in terms of our foods, um, I have found that it is a lot better now than it was ever in terms of sourcing. Thank you very much, Wanda, for the historical perspective. We should do an oral history with you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Lindsay, can you cook food from all of your countries in the U.S.? Challenges and adaptations. Um, I can cook some. I can cook most Haitian food that I can Dominican or Cuban food. Um, but for the most part, yes, I can. I still have a lot to learn from um, all three. But the main challenges that I face, like Wanda was saying, is finding good, authentic ingredients in Gainesville, um, especially for Haitian food, because I don't think there are any Haitian stores here, any Haitian markets. I know there's La Aurora, which is like Cuban, so I can sort of find what I need to make Dominican food. But um, yeah, there's not many of those around here. I'd have to go all the way down to Miami or Orlando just to find good ingredients. But how I get around that is I just substitute them <laughs> for different ingredients. The food doesn't usually come out the same. The texture isn't the same. But it's as close as I can get to it in Gainesville. So I'll take what I can get. <laughs> and you give us one example of one substitution? Just one. Yeah, um, white sweet potatoes is something that is really like particular to Haitian culture. So I know one meal that we make, one supper meal is sweet potatoes and milk. You boil the sweet potatoes in milk and it's kind of supper. And that's usually made with white sweet potatoes. But since I can't find that here in Gainesville, I basically just use yellow sweet potatoes. And it's not the same, but it gets the job done. Thank you. Okay, Mariana, what about you? Can you cook food from your country of origin, from Brazil in the U.S.? Challenges and adaptations. I think for me, one challenge is like replace lunch. I feel, I, I don't know, I'm in Florida. I have like this experience in the city that's like around the university and everything uh, looks like be around that, the routines and, and time and everything. But I miss to have like a proper lunch, like lunch time, like when you sit and you have a meal with like rice, beans, and you know, like here people usually get like some little salad and or like a wrap or something like this. I cannot function with the, just a wrap and a little salad, you know. I really need like my beans and my rice and my, you know, everything to, to go through the day. And usually we had like classes at the time that you're supposed to having lunch. And I'm not even coming from the region that we do the siesta. More in more in other regions we do more the siesta in Brazil, but I'm from Sao Paulo, we don't do that. But I I really miss like this hour for lunch, you know. So this is a challenge for me. Not only the ingredients, but like the lunch time is a challenge for me. Thank you, Mariana. Lexi, I don't know if we have time for another round or shall we stop here? We'll stop here and what we will do is we will open up um, questions like for the Q&A. We actually had someone, a participant, that already asked the question in advance. So the question is, is prep time not a challenge? So a lot of Latinx recipes are made from scratch, right? So what happens when the food you growing up eating isn't good like for instance like the person mentioned her mom hated to cook or the food is already colonized lots of them are already to eat food or commercial food so how do you really reclaim your culture and 
And also, do you have any ingredients? Do you have a garden or do you have any ingredients that you're growing in your garden? So I guess it's a multi-level question. You want to start, Marisa? Let me start with the first one. Is prep time a challenge? So is it difficult to make food from scratch? So is it a challenge for you whenever you're cooking? Is it prep time a challenge? I would like to speak to that, especially because the way we live in, in the United States is so time focused and the respect for food and for food preparation, generally speaking now, is just not there. And so it, it's not a value and it's unfortunate because if you want to marinate the food properly, for example, if you're going to have something that requires marinating for two, three days, you have to make a concerted effort to have that happen, you know, and that means saying no, and that means closing doors, and that means and oh to a lot of things that are pulling at you so that you can focus on what you're doing. Otherwise, you're going to be getting into the shortcuts and a lot of MSG and chemicals and things that you may not want to have in your food. That definitely a taste affects the taste and definitely affects your health. I do my best. Thank you so much, Mariana. And I do have another question. So what is the relationship of food and medical roots passed down from generation to generation? This is a question that Maria Jose actually asked. So perhaps I will say maybe Cece or Lindsay may try to answer the question. I don't know much about the herb part of um, my culture, but I do know that Especially in Haiti, we use a lot of feuille, which is like leaves, kind of lalo, which is also known as jute leaves. It's very centered around that. And we also have special teas. I know sarasi leaves. Alex and I were talking about that a few weeks ago. So we're very leaf-rooted. You know, if something's wrong, they'll tell you, oh, go drink this tea, go eat this um, <laughs> leaf, go eat this legume and you'll be fine in the morning or something like that. I used to get like leaf baths, kind of. So basically, I don't know how my mother did it, but basically I would stand in a tub and she would like pour water with like leaves on top of me to kind of like get rid of the sickness and like all the bad stuff. So that's how um, I know food is connected to medicine and stuff like that. It's funny because I'm, like I said, I'm in Texas right now and my partner and I were running errands for my mom around town and I found uh, Botanica, which um, I'm growing up, there was always a Botanica, which is, uh, how do I explain paste on you? And it was supposed to stop the, the sting, right, from, from spreading and it would like suck it out. Now, when I was growing up, my mom would be like, don't tell people at school because they're going to think that it's weird. Right, like because this is a like practice that we did at home, but now because of wonderful events and spaces like this, right, like I'm so proud to share stuff like that. But when I was little, I'm like, yeah, yeah, mom, right? How could this work? But it totally worked, right? The amount of times I've been stung, my mom would just put the thing there, and in an hour, like it was like nothing happened. The other one, and I'm also growing garlic, right? You take the little the the garlic from the store, and I started growing it on my own, and so for me, that's nice because I can use it all the time. The other one is aloe vera, which is constantly used in my house. Um, my grandma drank a cup of it, right? She made it into a tea and would just put the leaves and scrape it and make a tea. And so she would drink a cup every day. 
Um, you put it on burns, right? You put it on a skin irritation, but also for me, it also is a sign of protection. So um, I put it at every entrance of the house. So like front, front door, back door, or even the front of the office, because that is a sign and symbol of resilience and nourishment. And the, the saying goes that the aloe vera is very hard to kill, right? It, it doesn't die for anything, but if you place it in your house, it'll protect you from any negativity that was meant for you. So if somebody walks through that passage and they happen to have something negative that they were supposed to give to you, the aloe vera will like hold on to it. And that's why your aloe vera has died, right? So not to freak anybody out if you're thinking, maybe that's why my aloe vera died. But it's something that for me is, I believe, right? Like I have a, my brand new tattoo is an aloe vera tattoo because I want it close to me as a sign of protection. But my grandmother always had aloe vera. My mom still has aloe vera in the front yard right here. And I have like 12 plants at home that are very special gifts for me that I often give to other people to, you know, to say thank you and to help, you know, to help protect as well. Thank you, Cece. We have one last question that Maria actually asked. She's asked, do we have any experience where you had to make substitution as a result of a dietary changes? For example, you become, you became vegan or now you have to be, have a gluten-free diet. So any of you had to make any changes in that particular end by any chance? I did actually. So I recently became a vegetarian about three years in April. So legume, like I was talking about, is basically a mixture of different vegetables. And usually it has like beef or lamb or turkey or whatever meat you want to put in it. And when I make it, I can't make it with all that meat. <laughs> so usually I replace it with either bacalao or I just make it with just like the um, just the plain vegetables. It tastes kind of different because, you know, the flavor of the meat and the meat seasoning isn't there. But it, it gets the job done. <laughs> it gets the job done. Anybody else want to add or had to make any changes? Maricela, Mariana? Yes, I've made some, uh, some changes. Part of it has to do with aging, right? So that Cuban coffee in the afternoon, forget it. It's not happening. It's so sad. It really is sad to not be able to have that cup of coffee in the afternoon that helps you get through it, you know, but um, if I have it, I can't sleep and my stomach, etc. So that's one change I've made. Uh, there have been others, moderation, moderation. <laughs> but I think that's about it. I have not become a vegetarian. And I have, uh, you know, I got to watch the cholesterol, etc. But that's about it. For me, my family were not really into like meat, meat. We we're more like vegetables and fish and seafood. But when I was like, I think 21 years old, I got this severe seafood and fish allergy and I just had to stop. Like, and everybody else had to stop at the house because I cannot even be in the same place when they're cooking because just the smell can like give me the reaction. So that was huge for everybody in the house. But it was not that something that you can replace, you know, because we were already like having a diet with a lot of vegetables, with grains, beans, and, you know, 
but we didn't replace or anything but it was like a suddenly like just had to stop and people this when i moved from the house when i was living with my parents when they when i moved they were like able to eat and they go back to eat normally but when i'm there it's not possible so that's a dramatic change <laughs> but it wasn't like a replace so it's not like i have an experience how to replace and how to recreate it's just we had to stop for me i've seen it in how i cook for other people so I have always liked spicy and I love, love spicy. And my grandma used to say, if it's too spicy for other people, maybe you were mad at them when you cooked because your anger was into the food when you like made it for them. But uh, when I cook for my partner who loves spicy, but can't handle my level of spice sometimes, or now that I'm home often, when I cook for my mom and her husband, they don't eat a lot of salt anymore. Um, they are older and the picante, right? The pica is, it's not, it's not good for them. They can't handle it. So now I want to be able to make something that they can still appreciate and they can still enjoy and it not harm them, but it nourish them. So I am making changes little by little, but that's for me is the big one is the, the salt one, is, but mainly is the, the amount of spice that goes into it. Thank you so much, um, Cece. I think you wanted to say something, Wanda? If I could add to the conversation about uh, substitutions for dietary things, as I mentioned before, for, for many years, uh, I was a vegetarian and, and a strict vegetarian. I added fish and, and eventually chicken later. But, but what that did for me at that time, I had just come out of Puerto Rico, was an opportunity to learn about a lot of other cuisines and incorporate from a lot of other countries, a lot of them Latin American countries, foods that didn't have to be altered. They were already vegetarian. They were already vegan, gluten-free even. <laughs> it gave me kind of permission to go exploring into uh, other uh, foods. And, and then after that, then the evolution was to how to then maybe adapt some of our dishes to these new ways of preparing them. Anything you want to add, Margarita? I wanted to just say something about a previous question, the one about medicine and food. I learned to cook from my grandmother and my mother chicken and meat with bay leaves, just because of the flavor. And just very recently, I learned that if you cook uh, meat with bay leaves, it is easier to digest. So there's all these traditions that we follow just because we were taught and then it turns out that the root or the reason is not only flavor, but only, also like a medicinal kind of approach. So I think that's also very interesting. We probably have lost a lot of the knowledge, not all of it, because I mean, garlic, that was like my first approach to COVID was let's eat garlic like insane. And I still do it. <laughs> thank you so much, Margarita. On that note, thank you so much. I really appreciate all of you for joining us today. Thank you. Oh, I just loved being a fly on the wall for that conversation. It makes me think about my own family's food traditions, and I hope it does the same for you. The panelists shared some recipes that remind them of home, and you can dig in on our website, thezestpodcast.com. I'm Delia Colon. 
I produced The Zest with Andrew Lucas, and this week we had help from Chandler Balcom, Mark Hayes, and Lily Thiessen. Special thanks to Alexandra Sinachis at the University of Florida's Center for the Humanities and the Public Sphere. Thanks also to Florida Humanities and the City of Gainesville. The Zest is a production of WUSF Public Media, copyright 2021.